Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip answers questions and addresses principles such as, in general, what does a weaker dollar mean for stocks? Reading the tape. What is a stock split? What does the president have to do with the stock market? Don't overthink wealth building. Plus, Philip talks about marketing your business through podcasting with recording studio entrepreneur Steve Casillo. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. All right, we are back with a special Ask Philip podcast episode. And, and this is why I call it special. If we've ever engaged in a conversation about business or marketing or selling, and, and, and somebody's asked me a question, it's pretty much guaranteed that I'm going to bring up podcasting because of what we're going to talk about. Like, I just think podcasting is the number one way to grow a brand and a business like today, right? You know, today, like period. And it's not, some people say, is it too late to get started? I was like, it hasn't even really started. This is like websites, 1997, right? You know, like it's, it's early. Um, and so I have a special guest today. It's my audio engineer, Steve Casillo. Owner of podcast Mansfield, uh, about Mansfield podcast hosts, um, and just and the cool part is he has a background in radio, so we're going to talk about that. But thanks for coming on the show today, Steve. Thanks, Philip. Good to be here. And and here's what I want to ask you: I don't think I've ever asked you this before. Just to start it off, um, why did you? Let's talk about your radio career, and then talk about why you left radio and and got into podcasting. All right, my radio career started in. 1980, 1980. And I worked all in San Diego, which is where I'm from. Uh, I lived there for 44 years. My entire career in, in radio was in news talk radio. My, uh, my first wish was, was to be a disc jockey. I wanted to be one of these wacky morning guys and tell jokes and, and, and do all that kind of stuff. And a friend of mine called me up. Uh, it was a guy that I went to college with. He says, Hey, uh, the radio station has an, has an opening. I think you ought to apply for it. And I said, but I don't like news. I want to be a disc jockey. And he gave me a little talking to. He says, look, this is the number one radio station in San Diego. Get your butt in here because we need you. And I applied for the job. I got it. I fell in love with news and talk. And every, every news talk station that I worked at, there was always a music station down at the end of the hall. And that's when I quickly learned that disc jockeys come and go. It's like a revolving door. Mm. But those who work in news, they stick. And I worked with, uh, I, in fact, the last talk show host that I worked with worked at the station for 25 years. Yeah. And, and so my career was, was entirely in news talk. When we moved to Texas in 2004, I decided that it, I'm not going to I'm not going to apply for a job in radio anymore. I started my own business as an advertising broker and I helped small and medium-sized businesses place radio advertising all across the country. Which is funny because I 
I was in that business for 15 years, never met a client face-to-face. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Even back then. Even back then, all of my business was based on the internet. And as long as I had the internet and email, I could place an ad anywhere in the country. And I placed from LA to Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, Houston, and a ton of small markets. And and, and to give perspective, like at, at that point in time, you're calling on a small business. Like what was your competition for advertising? What, you know, like what was the go-to spot or was radio like the go-to spot then, you know, kind of give some context around that. Well, radio was, uh, and, and still is, people still listen to the radio in the car, just not as much because of podcasting. But Radio was a was a big medium, and and people would come to me, and so my competition was really the ad agencies that didn't want to take on the little guys. Mm. That ad agencies want these million dollar corporations that that want to do big ad campaigns. Well, you know what? If you want to place a thousand dollars in uh, Rupert, Idaho, sure, I'll place it. I had. I had ads going all over the country, and and uh, but but radio was the medium. Like people were either doing, you know, radio, magazine, or TV. Is that kind of? Yeah, yeah, okay. and and because of my experience in talk radio, and I learned very very quickly as an ad broker that there are two different types of listeners when it comes to radio. Mm-hmm. There's an active listener, and there's a passive listener, and you want to advertise toward the active listener. A passive listener is one who puts on the radio, most of the time music, and it's background. Mm. So the music's background, the commercials are background, they're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. An active listener predominantly talk radio because they're listening to the words. Doesn't matter who the host is, they're hanging on to words and they're, they're mentally playing along with the dialogue. They're also hearing the commercials. Mm. And when I learned that, it's like, okay, I want to I want to target the active listener. And every radio station that I placed ads on was news talk. Okay. Okay. No, I mean, so and, and I'm so I know I'm asking some deep questions, but I really want context, right? Because I grew sure. up. So like, for example, um, because I know what, what what time period was this where you were selling radio ads? 2004 up until last year. So it was around when Google began to take off. But but like like what? So here's what I'm trying to understand. Like in the '90s, when people actually bought Yellow Pages, or maybe they did back then too. That was when Yellow Pages was about to start dying. Yeah. But um, like let's say it's '95. How are people advertising? If I'm a mom and pop shop doing five million dollars, where where was I placing the the biggest two places for my ad budget back then? '95. That was before. That was before I got into advertising. That was before you got into advertising. So, so it, you were in radio, you just were not on the advertising side. Exactly. Okay. All of my experience in radio was in the programming side, where I produced commercials and, and worked on the technical side of, of talk shows, okay. running the equipment. Got it. Uh, doing what, what I do for you. I Doing editing and uh, digital sound and, and creating. Got it. That's... That's what I really love doing the most. And my entire career started started in the newsroom. I was a news writer. I was then moved into the studio for uh, the morning news, again, running the audio, playing the commercials, keeping the show on time. That's what a director does. Mm-hmm. Then I was promoted to producer 
and producer comes up with ideas, books the guests, uh, makes sure that the talk show host is prepared with information. And from there, uh, went back into the studio, did a lot of audio production. And and I was a talk show host for, okay. for about 30 minutes. <laughs> so, 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 then, so then here's a better question then. I'm, sure. gl- I'm glad you gave me that differentiation. So, so growing, growing a audience, you know, what, what were some of the best talk show radios doing to, to grow their audience back then? My favorite line comes from Bonnie Raitt, and that is, give them something to talk about. Mm-hmm. And that you, you have to have an opinion. You can't sit on the fence. And I, I think it was you who, you had a guest that said, well, I, I kind of like this, but I kind of like that. And you asked him, what office are you running for? <laughs> because they couldn't, they couldn't make a decision. And to be a good talk show host, you have to have, you have to have an opinion. And well, you, you listen to some of the great talk show hosts. It, yeah. You, and, and the comment is always, oh, well, they're so opinionated. Well, yeah, they're opinionated because they, they want you to have a dialogue with them. Mm-hmm. And if they're sitting on the fence going, well, that's a great idea, but this is a great idea. And no, it, it becomes boring. Right. So. Right. Uh, that, that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause you're thinking about the great, the great host and they are loved and hated, either really loved or really hated. Like, you know, the, the goat of podcasting right now, Joe Rogan is, is that way. A, oh, lot, yeah. a lot. I mean, you know, I like Joe. But a lot of people don't like him. I'm like, like he's a pretty cool dude. Well, the king of media, who uh, Howard Stern, you either oh, love yeah. him or you hate him. Yep. But both people listen to him. The lovers, because they love him, but the haters, because they want to go to work going, did you hear what Howard Stern said today? Mm-hmm. And uh, and in all honesty, I don't think in his entire career, I don't think I've listened to Howard Stern more than 60 Minutes. But but we hear yeah I don't think I've ever listened to him but I know who he is right oh, he, oh yeah Everybody, that's crazy yeah, yeah. Uh, branding yep. branding yep so okay and so um so 2004 to 20 uh, 2019 2019 you were selling radio advertising mm-hmm. and what made you go into podcasting a professional slump <laughs> yeah my business was was not doing well and so last year I took a friend of mine. Friend of mine is just this is just one of these creative minds that thinks out of the box, and I took him to lunch one day, and I said, "Casey, I need I need a good professional kick in the butt. I'm sitting here wallowing at home because I'm not generating any income." And and uh, he goes, "Well, what are you good at?" I said, "Well, you know, I worked in radio. I did da, 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 I do audio production." And he goes, "Simple podcasting." It is a business that is really in its infancy. And this was just a year ago. All right. It's in its infancy and it's growing exponentially. Uh, He says, go home, do the research. Within three or four days, I had already signed a lease with this office and was ready to open Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. it, It literally was that fast. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I think people don't understand the difference between like podcasting and radio, um, and so like what is so let's say I'm a it's like a lots of angles, right? I mean it's 
there's lots of different. So, so you tell me the difference, and then I'll kind of ask questions to narrow in some points if, sure. if we don't hit them. So, what, so what is the difference between podcasting and radio? Radio is live. You turn on the radio, and if if a host said something five minutes ago, it's gone. You cannot go back to it. Podcasting is on demand. You can start it from the beginning. You can skip. You can. It's it's like uh, like Netflix. It's, I was going to say it's like audio uh, Netflix for audio, except it's free in most cases. Mm-hmm. And so that's those. That's the main difference between radio. Radio is you get whatever you get when you turn on the knob. Podcast is on demand. And and you can search for topics. And radio, you only get what's in your market. Living in Dallas-Fort Worth, there are about 50 radio stations. Most of them are B stations that you would not listen to. Mm-hmm. But you can't, unless you go onto the internet and uh, bring up a radio station from another another city, which, you know, five, six, ten years ago, you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You had you were only stuck with what was uh, what was in your market unless you had satellite radio. Podcasting, again, you go on one of the major platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, and then you just do a search on on a topic that interests you. And boom, you you've got on demand information right there at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So before in radio, how hard was it to, let's say I wanted to start, um, let me, let me backtrack and give context, right? So the, the, the asset managers that are managing, you know, some of the most assets right now were early to, you know, CNBC TV advertising. And then another big one, a couple of big ones were early to radio, right? He's not a wealth manager, but Dave Rams is an example. But um, but there's some other ones that are big wealth managers that built a huge business off of radio being relatively early as host. But how how difficult was it if I want to start a show to, um, to do a, start a radio show back in the day? To start a radio show, the the easiest way would have been to start with a weekend show, mm-hmm. and that is a what's called a, a pay to play or a uh, a brokered radio show where you actually pay the radio station. For your time. When you're listening to talk radio predominantly on Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, and you hear these one hour shows all about cars, all about gardening, uh, the, the financial hour, the real estate hour, those are all brokered talk shows where the host pays the radio station to be on the air. Some of these talk shows can actually be so popular that the radio station will turn that around and hire them to be regular talk show hosts on, on their show. And, and that was a niche that, that I also got into, not only placing commercial mm-hmm. 30 and 60 second uh, commercials, but I also got into that niche of placing uh, brokered talk shows that, that someone would call me up and says, yeah, I want to be a talk show host. I'm in Chicago and I want my, ra- my radio show to be in San Diego, but I don't know how to do that. Well, I do. And, and so I had one client, he was in Chicago, no, he was in Detroit where he recorded his show and his headquarters were in Chicago and his radio show was in San Diego, 
Chicago, Detroit, Houston, Tampa, uh, and a couple other markets. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's crazy how uh, he would record in Kansas City, and then he would send me the sound files, mm-hmm. and and I would produce them, get them ready for radio, and then I would distribute them to the radio stations. Hmm. But yeah, the weekend talk shows is a great place to to start if you want to be on the radio. Mm-hmm. Because especially in a major market like like DFW, which mm-hmm. is the fifth largest market in the country, you can't just walk into a news talk radio station with no experience and say, hey, I'm a great speaker. I want you to hire me. Right. And they're going to look at you and go, you know what? Yeah. Right. Go buy your own time on the weekend. But with podcasting, you can just do it whenever you want to. You either – you know what? And you can buy a mic and a laptop or you can come into a commercial – podcast studio and and within a within an hour or two you've got something up on the internet yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that easy and and, and that that's you know that, that that was how i got started i got started doing podcasting on my iphone um, and that's what i tell people i'm like hey look just get started because eventually you're going to find out like me it actually brings in business and then you're like hey i need to like i come to the studio and 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 have you do it, hey, because you're way better than than me at it, right? <laughs> it, it looks more professional. It sounds more professional. And I can just focus on growing my business and let the podcast do the long-term branding, which also grows my business. Right. Um, but And you know that we use the same microphones that Joe Rogan uses. Yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> $100 million. We're on the, we're, we're, we're on the way. <laughs> so and, and people people might not understand this 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 part too. So we talked about Joe Rogan. He um I think I think the first big deal was um Bill Simmons, you know, um he got bought out by for something like two hundred million, the rumors say. Yeah. Um I forget who bought Bill Simmons. Um it was like a, a media company. It wasn't Vox. Or was it Vox? Somebody paid him a two hundred million dollar check uh for his podcast. And then Joe Rogan got a hundred million dollar podcast. Um, so, can you explain to folks like why they're getting paid so much for their podcast? I think in, in the case of Joe Rogan, which Spotify paid uh, that ungodly amount of money for his show, really is for exclusivity. That Joe Rogan is really the king of podcasting. He's the number one podcaster in the country, if not the world. I don't know if you can get the Joe Rogan show on Apple or Google or but I don't think you can anymore. All right, then it's yeah. then it's an exclusivity deal then. Mm-hmm. All right, because Spotify back 5 years ago was not in the podcast right. industry. It was Apple and a couple others, but um because that that same client that I was talking to you about about Detroit and Chicago and San Diego, he was also uh, producing his shows for podcast. And he kept asking me, how do I get on Spotify? How do I get on Spotify? Well, right now they're in beta mode. And that was five years ago. Mm-hmm. Beta mode was, we only want the big guys. So <laughs> go away. And now you know Spotify will take anybody and everybody because they want the content. Mm-hmm. But with Joe Rogan's case, yeah, they wanted exclusivity that we want the best in the world and we'll pay for it. And and with that hundred million, he's coming to Texas and he's building this this he showed some photos on his Facebook page of his new studio. It, oh, I haven't it, seen it. Oh my gosh. It it's off the charts. It's 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 very, very cool. You know, I it, it's funny because you know, I love business, I love investing, I love podcasting. 
And and since, since I'm an entrepreneur, it feels like every five to seven years, I don't want to say I get bored, but I like build a, I build a system for something, and then I put it on autopilot, and I got to build the next thing. And so now I'm like, hey, Stonehill Wealth Management is going to basically be a podcast station instead of radio. Like, you know, we help people with, you know, manage their money. Sure. But I just, I love, I love so I can see myself getting a huge podcasting studio one day. You'll, you'll still be... The what, what do you call it? The chief chief audio engineer, the C C A O. All right, but, that's 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 good. Yeah, yeah. But so so let's 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 talk specifically small businesses, right? Um, why do you think a small business should have a podcast? And let, let, let's let's make up one. Let's say a local realtor. Why should a local realtor have their own podcast? Well, okay, I'm. We'll 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 focus on the realtor, but really this goes into okay, yeah. any, anybody, yeah, go, anybody, really any yeah. type of small business. Okay, and this goes back to you and I did a presentation at the chamber, mm-hmm. chamber of commerce here in Mansfield, and one of the PowerPoint slides that I put up on uh, had a quote, and it was, "The spoken voice is more powerful than the written word." You can hand me your <laughs> business card, you can hand me a brochure or a pamphlet, and I'm reading emotionless words, but the spoken voice, you can put inflection into it. You can, you can draw them in by getting close to the mic and lowering your voice. And people actually do listen a little close. Oh my gosh, he's drawing me in. And then you can hit them with a powerful information that this is what's going on in your community and you need, and you all of a sudden you're getting excited. They're getting excited. Mm-hmm. The spoken voice is more powerful than the written word. And that's why I think every person who owns a business who has to deliver a message to the community, if they're an expert in their field, they should be doing a podcast. People want to hear their voice. Mm-hmm. People want to hear about the passion in their field. So whether it's for realtors or anyone, yeah, get, yeah. get behind the microphone and, and tell them what your business is about. Mm-hmm. Let them hear the passion about what you're doing. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's funny to say that because I, I, you know, in, in my business, a lot of people, a lot of people ask me, Philip, you know, cause I've, I've had an official podcast for two years, but for maybe three, a little over three years, I've been doing like content over, you know, video or, or audio. I was doing it on Facebook Live before, and people, and I'm like consistent. People are like, you know, why do you put so much time into it? Or, or they'll say, I can't do it because, you know, time commitment. And I'm like, well, listen. And I guess for me, since I've, you know, I started my, you know, selling insurance and, and mutual funds in San Antonio, uh, and I built a business there, and then moved to Dallas. With the same company, but I had to start over because I didn't know anybody and built the business there. And then I started Wealth, Stonehill Wealth Management. So I already knew to build a clientele, it takes five to seven years anyway, you know? Right. Um, and so I'm like, the cool part about a podcast is before, and I'm still shaking hands and kissing babies, right? So you still got to shake hands, kiss babies face to face, right? I'm, I'm a millennial, but I think some millennials forget that. Like you have <laughs> to, you know, um, eyeball to eyeball, like talk to people, like build the relationship. But the difference is with the podcast, especially if you're integrating with social media, 
while we're not talking in between, like, you don't forget me. And then the people who are interested in the topic, they're listening, they're listening. Even if you don't know, and when you follow up in six months, right, uh, say, hey, man, I love these three episodes. You know, yeah, right. I want to give you, I want to I want to do business with you. It's not even a sales process because they've, you've already sold and they've already bought you. Right. The, the, the podcast should be part of your marketing plan that if you're going to put in two hours a day to cold call, well, i tell you what, why don't you do an hour a day of cold calling and invest that other hour into writing a script or creating an outline. And then on any given day, you, you, you map out your day. All right. On Thursday, I'm, I'm actually going to go in and record next week. Then that's part of your marketing plan is now my podcast is out there how am I going to, now you're going to market it to the community or to the world. And so you're still doing the cold calling, which most people hate doing. I abhor cold calling. And that takes, you're, you're reaching so many more people with the podcast instead of one person at a time mm-hmm. of opening up the phone book or, or, and, of making these cold calls. Right, right. And, 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 and you probably, you know, you, I know you know this, but podcasting is cool, right? You know, absolutely. I mean, for, like, I, you know, <laughs> w- whether somebody's 30, as a matter of fact, what do you think? I think it's cooler to 40 and 50 year olds than it is to even 30 year olds because the 30 year old is like, yeah, I mean, it's podcasting. But 40 and 50 year olds, they're like, you know, it's new. I know I've got a few friends that, that, because uh, I'm a little older than you, they, some of my friends have just recently retired, and they they go, you know what? I, I I knew about podcasting, but I never really had the time to listen because I work, and, and, and now that I'm retired, I listen to podcasts all the time, and and it's like, yeah, and, and these are people in their sixties, mm-hmm. and well, and some are in their fifties. Yeah, it's, it's, I wish I could have retired when I was in my fifties. <laughs> But I didn't know you at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 yeah. And my point in saying it's cool it's, is is you know um, it's just it's an easy gateway conversation. Like you know, I remember I'm at a networking event with all these fancy people, you know, and you got to figure out a way to to start a conversation. And so um, uh, the cool the cool part, I was figuring out how to get the podcast in, but then somebody said, "Oh, Philip." Yeah, um, I listen to your podcast. You know, blah blah. So we're talking about the podcast, and then this lady who is over this Fortune five hundred fifty billion dollar pension on the legal side comes up, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I like podcasts." You know, she's you know fifty five, mm-hmm. um, you know fifty five years old, but you know big big timer. And I, and she said, "Yeah, what's your what's your podcast? Let me listen to it." So she down she downloaded, it and I said, "Hey, I'd love to have you as a guest on the podcast." And she was about. As giddy as a, you know, <laughs> a sixteen-year-old going to, to 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 her sweet sixteen, but it was it was crazy the dynamics of the relationship. You know what I mean? I think what it is, it when you when you said you know the twenty thirty-year-olds are like yeah okay it's a podcast. It it is similar to when the older generation figured out Instagram, mm. and the younger folks are going, well yeah we knew about that for years, <laughs> and. Oh, now there's this thing called TikTok, and the kids are going, "Well, phew, duh, we've we've known about that for a right." And, 
Right, so, but, but but from a marketing standpoint, I mean, right, that 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 would be why it would be good to invest in it now because now is kind of, you know, when you want to get on. Because right. like you said, there's some 60-year-olds, but not a lot. And if you think about who has the money to purchase whatever goods and services, exactly. they're 50 and 60. So you want to, like, strike now, yep. right? Because the Instagrammers that were on there five years ago have huge audiences. And, you know, now it's hard to get big on Instagram. Right. Um, and the the from what I was told, the, the major platforms for marketing a podcast, not only Facebook, because everyone's – almost everyone's on Facebook, but is Instagram – if it's serious business, put it on Twitter, put it on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And those would be the four major places to market. If you're going to add some video to, and I, I know that you take your, your audio podcast and you put, it, you put it into video form, and then you put it up on YouTube. The more platforms that you put it on, the better for your business. I mean, why would you exclude... Twitter. Why would you exclude LinkedIn? Why would you exclude Facebook? Oh, because I don't have time to put it on Facebook. No, 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 no. The more you're out there, the more it benefits. Just like when you have a podcast, well, you know, Apple's the best platform to be on. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but a lot of people only listen to podcasts on Spotify or Google Play or Beanpod or uh, iHeartMedia or... Spreaker, or the, I mean, there are right. dozens of platforms, and each one takes like five minutes to to get onto. Mm-hmm. You take and and again, part of planning your your marketing plan is all right. Today, I'm going to submit my podcast to all of these platforms, or they can just hire hire or, your team, or they can hire me. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, and that's what I do is that uh, there are three three aspects to to my service. Uh, I've got a guy that comes in, all he does is record and he doesn't have, he doesn't edit or he doesn't have my marketing service. He comes in, does 60 minutes. I want my show to be very, very organic. I don't need editing. So when it's finished, I clip out the dead space at the beginning, the dead space at the end, and I email him a sound file. That's pretty simple. Hmm. Um, the next level is recording like you and I are doing right now and editing where I edit out filler words, ums and ahs and I coffee I, sips. Coffee sips or or coughing or and then I I level out the sound so that I'm not louder than you or you're not softer, louder and and do the post production. And then I email the file to you. The next level, the third level is both of those recording and post production, but then also marketing. And so I create uh, uh, different um, little sound files coming from the from the entire podcast, and we'll create little video vignettes for for YouTube and for Facebook, um, and get the word out. Uh, in this case, using the username and password of my clients' Facebook or social media pages, and uh, post on their behalf that the latest episode is up and things like that. So there are three levels and I have clients that have, that are in all three of those levels. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and you just correct me if I'm wrong. You also allow, let's say somebody says, all right, I want to like just start where I'm like the, 
the weekend radio show. As I understand, they can be like the 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 real estate expert on your podcast, or what what were you saying? Um, you can do because you because you have your own podcast, where they can advertise, or oh. somebody can. Uh, right, my my podcast is is called About Mansfield. Okay, so where. Most podcasters want to be heard nationwide, if not worldwide. I want a million listeners. My podcast target audience is within 36 square miles, and that's Mansfield, Texas. About Mansfield is the podcast, and it is a weekly news, talk, and information podcast. It is literally a throwback to the news talk days of of radio, of, of when I worked in radio. And... Just like News Talk Radio, I play commercials. And my advertisers, I have 30-second and 60-second radio commercial opportunities, um, up to 14 minutes throughout the entire hour. And yeah, it, it's I, I do have sponsors on there that that uh, take advantage of it. No, that, I, I love the narrow focus because that's, that. I mean, there's no other podcast than Mansfield focused on Mansfield, right? I mean, you own this market. I own this market. I am the only source for news, talk, and information in Mansfield. Because the the local newspaper, the News Mirror, shut its doors. It was actually on Christmas Day last year was their their last uh their last edition. So Christmas Day last year, and then a week later, I started my podcast. You know, it's funny. You're and, and, and when it comes to marketing and advertising, you're nicer to me. I was on a panel at a chamber meeting. And uh, I forgot that in the audience it was like somebody who sells these magazines in mm-hmm. in the area, and so I was like, "Listen, man, if if you're not advertising on social media or podcasting, and you're marketing to anybody who's under seventy seven, right? Like you're waiting. That, that was an exaggeration, obviously, hyperbole. <laughs> but 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 the truth is, like, I don't read any paper stuff. You know, like I'm um I'm I'm on social media." I'm listening to podcasts. So if you want to advertise to me and it's not on like CNBC, which is a TV show, right? Um, and it's not on podcast or, or, or social media, like you're just not reaching me. So I'm I'm always wondering like how are these newspapers and magazines surviving? Like Dallas Morning News finally went down, you know, was that last year? Right. I'm like, it hasn't even started because it's like um it's like you're dealing with a you you're not gonna get me to read a newspaper at thirty six. I don't read news. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not. I'm not reading it. It's not. Yeah. I like I said. I'm. I'm. I'm a little bit older than you, and I'm old school, but only on Sundays. And I really enjoy picking up a hard copy of the New York Times, mm-hmm. and and just the feel of the newspaper with your cup of coffee there at the breakfast table. But you're right. I also get the majority of my information online whether it's social media or the news sites, websites that, that are delivering the news to me, whether it's national news or, or local news, mm-hmm. uh, 99% of that comes online. Especially with the iPhone now with the whole news updates or exactly. social media is kind of like, uh, yeah. But no, I um, appreciate you sharing because these, I know we've kind of talked offline about this, but I never really got the whole backstory uh, about Steve and podcasting and radio, <laughs> but but now it makes all complete sense. Hey, so so y'all, uh, any any closing remarks for anybody who's thinking about podcasting or just do it? Okay, it, I I think th- that's a major ad campaign, isn't it? Just do just it. do it. Just do it before your competition does. It really is 
get out there and get your voice. And, and as I mentioned, the spoken voice is more powerful than the written word. And how can anybody reach you if they want to find out about you helping them do it? I own a podcast recording studio. It's called Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. And you can find me online at podcastmansfield.com. Thanks for doing it. Now yeah. you can you can hang out uh, in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll hang for a while and listen oh, okay. to your questions. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I really would appreciate that. First question. In general, what does a weaker dollar mean for stocks? How do I answer this question? I, I, I got this question and... When I answered it for the client, it was it was super complex and complicated. So I'm going to try to answer it better than I answered it over the phone for y'all. Here's the basic thing. A weaker dollar can mean something or it could mean nothing, right? And let me narrow it even further. A weaker dollar affects different stocks different ways. So, so for example, whenever you're looking at the stock market, money doesn't – or investing period, money doesn't evaporate, right? Money – is moving in different places based on what's going on in the economy. And so the U.S. dollar is getting weaker for a whole lot of reasons, but the main reason is we're being irresponsible and bailing out everybody. And so when you, when you create, like if you have a, a signed original Jordan jersey from 1995 or whatever, whenever they won, 1996, if, if it's one, it's more valuable than if it were three or four, right? But if three or four showed up and it was only one before, it makes it less value. So m- money is the same way. And so that would be the reason why the dollar is going down. Now, the dollar is going down relative to what, right? Relative to, and this is where it gets technical, but just for sake of simplicity, understand that in general, when the dollar goes down, commodity prices tend to go up, oil and gas tends to go up, and or what it, what goes up almost always is alternative better currencies. So that is the euro does better it trades counter dollar, but also gold, right? Gold, silver. Uh, and today we also have things like Bitcoin, which is kind of digital gold that, that, that trades well. So from a, from an investing standpoint, what is, what does all that really mean in the long term? Well, when the dollar goes down in the past, it's not so great for tech stocks, growth stocks, uh, over the long term. If it's a long term trend of the dollar going down, but it is great for, Oil and gas companies, gold mining stocks, emerging markets, overseas companies. And so if you're looking at a portfolio and, and your analysis says, Hey, I think that we're the dollars in a long term downtrend, then just know that U.S. stocks, tech stocks, growth stocks are likely not going to do well over that period of time. But the things that will do well are gold, gold miners, commodities, uh, countries that produce a lot of commodities, those stocks. And that's that's what a weaker dollar means for your investment portfolio. I hope I simplified that answer a bit better for y'all. Next principle. Reading the tape. So look, I'm going to start incorporating some principles in there for y'all, just so you can understand some of the principles of how I make investment decisions. People like the last principles I put out last week, so I'm going to continue it. So reading the tape, what does that mean? Let me give an example first. So I, as you know, because I mentioned it every podcast, I'm doing Muay Thai. And my Muay Thai coach will, you know, we'll watch different fight videos of different Muay Thai fights, right? And, some, and sometimes we'll even watch some of my sparring videos. But what is funny because he'll say, he'll say, hey, these two guys are fighting. What do you see? What does he have open? What is he probably going to do next? And I'm like, bro, I don't know. Like, I, you know, you've been doing this for 10 years. I've been doing this for three months, right? I don't have a clue what's going on because I don't, like, it's like a fire hydrant to me right now. But... 
he's done it for so long that he knows, oh, if the person shifts their body weight this way, they're probably going to do this. Or if the body weight gets shifted that way, it's going to do this. So in investing, you can look at asset classes and asset classes act similar and it's called reading the tape. So for example, if you, if you take four major uh, types of stocks, right, you have the financials, which are banks, insurance companies, those all move similarly because they all are very interest rate uh, sensitive. Industrials, industrials are companies that manufacture and produce stuff. And, and so those move similarly together. Energy, right? And that's pretty self-explanatory in tech, right? Those are the four major asset classes that you want to look at to make uh, investment decisions. And so based on how they're moving, it's going to give you an idea of what the long-term economic trend is and how to position your portfolio. So let me give like a real example. If interest rates, government interest rates, government bond rates are going down, right? So the spread between what a bank can pay depositors and what they can earn on the interest is getting tighter, right? Because interest rates are going down. That's not good for banks because interest rates affect a bank's profit margin. And so you say interest rate environment, interest rate environment rate are going down. I don't really want to own banks at this point in time because their profits margins are getting squeezed. But however, for whatever if for whatever reason you think that spread is going to widen over time, then you may want to own financials, banks, insurance companies, all that kind of stuff. Because again, financial intermediaries make money on the spread between what they pay people that they hold their money and what they invest the money for. Industrials, right? Industrials are going to be tied to the the health of the country's you know local economy. So whenever the economy is doing real well, we're manufacturing a lot of stuff, um, making a lot of stuff. And so industrials are a good pulse of like how really healthy are is the economy? Is the economy moving because there's fake money in the system or is the economy really, really healthy? And industrials can give you a clue of that. Energy, right? Energy's, energy, you can look at lots of different ways, right? Energy is going to tell you, hey, if the economy is doing well, then energy can do really, really well because we're using more stuff to make more stuff because it kind of ties into industrials. But if the economy is slowing and we need less energy, energy does less well. Energy also rises in price uh, when there's a lot of money being printed um, because the money that we have is is worth less. And here's the nuance, right? It depends on, so in the U.S., we have dollars and we import good amount of energy, but we also have built up our reserves and built up our capabilities locally to be able to not have to import as much energy. But if a company's economy is not doing well and their currency is going down, but they import a lot of energy, then you can expect a lot of inflation, right? And this is like a nuance, right? This is a nuance. I'm, I'm not expecting you to remember this, but I'm giving you a nuance of once you kind of understand how these things move together, you can kind of make an investment thesis because there's a lot of different moving pieces in this, but that's an example for energy. And tech, right? Tech is basically think of growth, new stuff. When the economy is slowing down, then people look to tech because they're looking to buy the um, new companies that are eating the old ones and putting them out of business. And this is a current example of the 2012, the 20, more the 2012, the current period that we're in right now. But reading the tape, looking at the different asset classes and different economics and how they interact allows you to know how to position your portfolio for which different types of asset classes. Hope that helps somebody. Next question. Philip, what is a stock split? This week, I know for sure Apple announced a split. 
And I think Tesla also announced a split. But I was answering split questions about Apple to a, a client. And they were like, well, what do I need to do? I own some Apple shares. What does that really mean? Am I going to you know, get a better deal? Should I buy some now? And I was like, I was like, no, nah, a, a, a split just what it what it really is it, really just making more shares. So let's let's use an example. Let's say you own a home and the home is worth four hundred thousand dollars. And let's say there was some way for you to take the home and then just chop it into four. But it was the same home. So you got the same. And, and, and I know this doesn't actually happen in real life. But let's just assume for a second that when you chop the home up, it doesn't make it more valuable. And so if you said, okay, I have my home worth 400000 and so now we chopped it into four, so each each part of the home is worth $100,000 each, you still have 400000 right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It just makes more of the home. And so maybe you can sell off if you said, hey, when I have the 400000 I can't sell a piece of my house, right, because it's my whole house. But if I have four pieces, maybe I can sell, sell one easier. So the reason why companies do stock splits is really just for the retail investors because I can't I can't tell you how many investors will say I can't buy Amazon because it's eighteen hundred or nineteen hundred or two thousand and I have to explain to them the the value of the shares doesn't doesn't mean anything. It's the it's the whole value of the business, right? If you if you think the business is gonna grow five times higher from here and you put a hundred grand in and it grows five times, it's it's still worth five hundred thousand whether the price the price per share is five dollars a share <laughs> growing to twenty five or if it's two thousand a share growing to ten thousand right you're more interested in what do I think the investment is going to grow to, and I explain that, and I get like a blank stare every time right and so companies know that retail investors need simplicity, and they're like, all right, we're just going to do a stock split so that retail investors continue to buy our shares. And don't think it's it's too expensive. And it's actually in the age of fractional shares. You can buy from a lot of brokerage um, companies fractional shares. So you don't have to own a full share. You can own a fraction of a share of a company. It's it's really no longer even relevant to do stock splits because people can own fraction of shares. But still, again, most retail investors don't really know that, don't understand it. And so this it's the stock split is just more to have retail investors buy the shares and and, and feel comfortable with it. So that's what a stock split is. Next question. What does the president have to do with the stock market? Absolutely nothing. Right? I think I think one of Trump's worst things that he did for himself was he pegged his campaign on the stock market and got everybody to believe that when it was going up that he was the reason why it was going up. And so when it's going down, he's taking the heat too. But there's literally like math, right? This, this is a thing that's called the Stock Traders Almanac. And it looks at all the different presidents and it maps out the returns of uh, the stock market over each president's term, and they break them out into Democrats and Republicans and all that. I wish they would do idiots and non-idiots because that's not party specific. But the point is, and it shows that every single year, that the president basically has no impact on the market, right? I'm pointing this out because it's funny. Last election, all my Democratic friends were like, oh, if so-and-so wins, you know, it's the end of the world. And then my other friends who were the other part, you know, another party were like, but if he wins in the world, I'm like, listen, presidents don't have any impact on it. And now they're back at it again. Oh, in November, you know, I'm nervous. You know, all the, all my Democrat friends are just nervous if Trump stays in office and then my Republican friends are nervous if these quote unquote socialist Democrats get in office. And I'm just like, y'all, like it doesn't really, it doesn't matter for investments because what matters is the system, right? If, if the, 
economic system allows for capitalism, then the market will will be fine. And people will be like, yeah, but if these left people get in and, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, China's like a lot more left than we are. Singapore's a lot more left than we are. Like we're not going that far and their market's doing fine, right? Because they allow for capitalism. So if if the system allows for the ability for you to own private assets and a legal system to enforce that, because by the way, y'all, I hope you do understand, there is no system that's true capitalism, right? Here, we have a system we think is capitalism, but if you look at what the central bank does, they privatize wins and they socialize losses. They've been doing that for a long time. And so there is no, like, I watched the news this morning, they were like, oh, restaurants are going out of business. You know, they need some help. No, let them go out of business. You know what I mean? Like, that's capitalism. And so we think in America, oh, we're so capitalist. No, we're not. Like, this is a, there's a, this is a pseudo socialist system already anyway, right? And it's worked for a long time. And so my, my, my point is the president doesn't have any impact on the stock market. And we're not going to become like, worse than China when it comes to capital markets. So just go sit down somewhere, y'all. Find something else to worry about, please. Next principle. Don't overthink wealth building. This is one of my favorite ones because this is something that I'm fighting a lot right now. So since investing is cool again, because it wasn't cool for a long time, everybody thinks they have to win a have a bit come up in the stock market. And I'm like, listen, if 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 you do not have the ten thousand hours of of learning how to have how to double your money every year and I'm doing air quotes on how to double your money every year then it it's it's a whole lot easier for you to make a lot of money by developing your skill set and your craft right earlier you guys heard heard me uh, interviewing Steve and Steve said you know his his friend when he had lunch was like hey you know what are your skill sets well I've done this I was like listen it's easier for Steve to build a 500,000 plus a year podcasting production studio, or probably even so early, I think Steve can build an eight figure podcasting production. But let's just say, let's just say a million for simple math. Let's, it's, it's easier for Steve to invest his time and resources into building a million dollar a year podcast with, with more accuracy. Like it's, if for Steve to build a million dollar podcast studio, it wouldn't even, it's not even like a hope and a wish and a prayer, right? It's, it's within his skill set. All he needs is time, right? And and so my advice to somebody like Steve would be, hey, Steve, save 10, 15 percent of your money into a boring long term investment so that when you're 75, 80, you're not broke. Right. But if you build this thing to a million dollars a year and your net profit is 500 and you're able to put away 100 grand a year into the boring thing, you're going to be really rich, you know, later. And oh, by the way. You built the million dollar year podcast that, that can probably sell for ten million and add to your pile later. And so my point is, there's like thousands of different ways to become rich. Don't if you don't have the core competency. Even me, for example, in a couple of weeks I'm interviewing a day trader uh, just because you know she has a business. I want to hear her perspective because I talk I talk a lot of trash on uh, day trading, but whatever. Well, I'm I'm working on being open, so I do want to hear her perspective on what she's doing. But even with what I do, I understand investing. I can day trade if I want to. But I did the analysis. I'm like, hey, listen, you know, I have a home run portfolio with only a few stocks, and I have my boring portfolio. And you know, I, t- I talked about my 20% rule on other podcasts. I was like, my 20% rule will allow me to make a, over time, potentially make a good amount of money on my boring portfolio plus my home run portfolio. I was like, 
But where I'm going to become wealthy is building an amazing business, helping people invest for retirement. And so could I put in 40 hours a week on day trading? Yeah. But I would get a whole lot richer putting 40, 60 hours a week in on helping people invest for retirement, right? That's, I mean, that's a whole lot more money. Everybody looks, looks at the billionaires, the hedge fund managers or, or, or money managers, they don't realize they didn't become a billionaire, you know, day trading, trying to get 100% a year. They made a bill, they, made, they became a billionaire helping people invest for long term, you know, relatively boring returns, right? And so let's not get off the mark. Understand. Uh, game is. And if you don't believe me, go look at the Forbes 400 list. Go look at all the people who made money in real estate or the hedge fund business and that are billionaires, even the real estate people. They didn't make, they didn't turn over 100% a year profit every single year. They they did a decent return over a period of time and they, they were excellent at getting people to give them money to enjoy those long-term, relatively boring returns. That's how I became a billionaire. It wasn't some 100% a year for 30 year investing abilities. So I hope this really helps somebody and email me your thoughts on this. For this one question, please email me, philip at philipwashingtonjr.com. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know your ideas, good, bad, and ugly. Because like this, I think this is a difference between if I talk to somebody and I, and I can tell if they're going to be rich or not by how they respond to this piece of advice. Thanks. Y'all enjoy your weekend. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.